0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken of the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. The word of the Lord. It's so great to have our elementary age children with us in the room today. Uh, Children, so good that you're here with us. Now, I have a treat for you at the end, but for now, I need you to color your coloring sheet, listen carefully, don't talk to your siblings or your parents, and don't cry, okay? I know sometimes you can't help it, but this is not one of those times, all right? So great to have the children with us. So we come to the end of our series in Ecclesiastes, Smoke and Mirrors. Now, we could have spent much longer here, right? Um... But haven't you been so uh, refreshed by this book? You know, it's just such a wonderful book. There is nothing new under the sun. Ways of thinking that had big purchasing power or that have big p- purchasing power today, such as naturalism, intellectualism, hedonism, individualism, and materialism, were around two, three millennia ago. Nothing new under the sun. Today we're looking at nihilism. Nihilism. Now, nihilism, this comes from uh, a Latin word, the Latin word nihil, which is the word for nothing, nothingness. Nihilism refers to the negation of life, the rejection of all religious and moral values and principles because uh, life is believed to be meaningless. You know, nihilism is the view that life uh, doesn't, that, that nothing exists or nothing should exist. And because things do exist, nihilism attempts to deconstruct, to destroy life as we know it, because it's seen as an illusion. Now, much art of the 20th century embodies a nihilistic aesthetic and view of life. For example, many of the paintings by Pablo Picasso um, show a... A deconstructed, chaotic, fragmented, illogical world. Um, paintings that do not follow the rules and of, of beauty and harmony of works of art in the past. Nihilism is also present in uh, much literature of our day, songs of our day. So I'm going to read you parts of a song um, that came out in 2018. And it's by the artist Conan Gray. And he was 18 years old. Uh, He's still alive, but he was 18 years old when the song came out. The song is called Generation Y. Generation Y, and it starts with 11 whys. Why, 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 why. And then he says, I was off keying cars parked on radium lawns by suburban moms. I called a friend. Let's meet at 10. Go wherever we want because no one cares that we are gone. This town don't got much to do. You and I haven't got much to lose. So do you want to rot in your room like we always do? Talk about how fast we grew and all the big dreams that we won't pursue. Then get in your car and laugh till we both turn blue. Then the chorus goes, because we are the helpless, selfish, one-of-a-kind millennium kids that all want to die. Walking in the street with no light inside our eyes. We are the worthless, cursed with too much time. We get into trouble and lose our minds. It's something that I've heard a million times in my life. Generation Y. Parents think we're fast asleep, but as soon as we're home, we're sneaking out the window. Because at this rate of earth decay, our world's ending at noon. Could we all just move to the moon? And then there's this refrain, why, 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 many more whys. We're living night to night. Why, 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 why? Since we're bound to die, oh, Why, 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 why? Oh, what's the use in trying? Why, why, why? And it's exactly why. One of my teenagers showed me this song a few weeks back and said to me, this is so sad. I said, yes. Now, what's so sad about it? Well, the the boredom and waste of hour after hour, the feeling that no one cares, so why should they care? The dreams that he and his friend won't pursue. The laughter till they turn blue. But it's not coming from joy and purpose. It's coming from escapism and meaninglessness. The contradictory message that these kids have received growing up, that they're both one of a kind, but also helpless and selfish, worthless and cursed. And so he sings, because we are the helpless, selfish, one of a kind millennium kids that all want to die that all want to die. It's this nagging sense in our youth, not only in our youth, but acutely in our youth. The life has no purpose, life has no meaning, and so we might as well all just die. Now, we might think that the teacher of Ecclesiastes, with all his talk about the fleeting existence that we have, uh, the vanity of it all, might also share that kind of hopeless, nihilistic outlook, but he's far from it. Especially as we get toward the end of the book. And so we're gonna dig in and see how he finishes his reflections. So, our question for today is this Is there any meaning to this life? Is there any meaning to this life? Look at chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Now, the final chapter begins, Remember also. Now, why also? Well, We have to look back, right, because when you say also, it means that there's something you've already said, and so we need to look at what that is. And if you go to chapter 11, in verse 9, he said, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. This book has made such an impression on my soul over the last six weeks by its emphasis on joy. It can be easy to misread this book and to be kind of taken uh, down in the direction of the pessimism that seems to be revealed in the book, but we have to read it well, and we have to read it in its totality. And there are all these different um, summaries that the teacher sprinkles throughout the book, showing us what the good life is all about. So I'm going to read you one of my favorite of such summaries. It's in chapter 5. You can go there with me. It's in chapter 5, verse 18. But I want you to Listen for the joy in it. Here's what he says. 518. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice In his toil, this is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So the appeal he's been making is for us to live life not toward gain, but rather toward joy. And so as he comes to the end of the book, he brings up joy again. He doesn't say, oh, life is such a bore and such a waste. You might as well just throw in the towel and die. No, he says, rejoice, O oh young man. Rejoice, O oh young woman, in the days of your youth, in your youth. And so when we get to chapter 12, verse 1, then he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. You see, his admonition is not just for us to have fun in our youth. I mean, you don't need the wisdom of a sage to arrive at that conclusion. I mean, if there's one thing we know young people are gonna figure out with no help from adults is how to have fun, right? The wisdom in the teacher is that he emphasizes both principles, rejoice in your youth, remember your creator in your youth. Now, here's the thing. There are many religious people Many religious people that believe that if we're going to remember our creator, then finding joy just does not go together with that, right? It's, it's, it's like water and oil. They don't mix. And as a result, there are many people in the church uh, who are religious who don't exhibit much joy in their lives. They're just kind of like solemn and, um, and sour even maybe sometimes. And so young people looking at their lives, they don't see anything attractive, Right, And actually many young people also believe the same thing. That if they're going to go hard after happiness, then they must go after happiness apart from God. Or if they're going to go hard after happiness of the selfish kind, the vice-infested kind, they can do that while still saying some of their prayers and attending church once in a while. But you know where that leads? That leads to emptiness and death. We've heard countless baptism testimonies to that effect. So neither of those ways is the way of scripture. In scripture, as here in Ecclesiastes, you can rejoice in your youth and remember your creator in the day of your youth. And one of my great joys in our church family is that many young people have come in and you're learning this. You're learning how to do this with your life. And so that's my encouragement to you. Keep doing it. Keep going after joy. Keep going after God at the same time. Don't let either go. Hold it in tension if you must. Well, after this, the teacher proceeds to give us a poetic description of the process of aging and dying. A process that comes to everyone. It's a process of loss that comes to everyone, rattling its chains at us if we live long enough. And so he gives us a number of metaphors for the loss of vitality that aging and dying bring. So look at chapter 12, verse 1 again. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. So first, aging is like the approach of winter. Now, I know we're going into the last week of summer before Labor Day, and you can see the panic in many Michiganders, you know? They scurry to get their last vacation in, you know, their last days by the lake, you know, on the boat, soaking up the sun. Now, of course, you also have those summer-hating Michiganders. You know what I'm talking about? The ones that are like, I hate the sun. You know? I can't wait for sub-zero temperatures. (laughs) Anything above 20 degrees and I break a sweat. It's like, okay, Bigfoot, we're unworthy, okay? (laughs) But the rest of us, you know, we love the fall, but we also know that in the blink of an eye, winter is coming and those dreary February and March months will be here. You know what I'm talking about, right? Those March days that are cold, cloudy, rainy, gray. Well, the teacher compares aging to the dark days of winter, except there's no spring coming. It's just more clouds. You see, as aging comes, our our faculties, our mental and physical faculties begin to dim, And our world gets smaller. Old friends begin to die and we have less mobility, less resilience. A a simple fall that as a toddler called forth a mere whimper becomes a disaster in old age. And so the teacher says, before that day comes, and it's coming to everyone, if you live long enough, remember your creator. Then he compares aging to the demise of a great house. Look at verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. Now this is a picture of vitality ebbing away. Picture a great mansion that at one point was uh, the life Of the town, the center of life in the town. Great banquets were held, hospitality was shown to newcomers in town, lots of activity, lots of industry, energy. But as is always the case, time and seasons march across and generations die, and management changes hands, and a once thriving, enterprising family turns off the lights. I mean, do you see all the words of decay? The leaders tremble, the strong are bent. The many become few, doors are shut, light is dimmed. We can think perhaps of pictures I'm sure you've seen of the many malls throughout our country where mannequins and boxes and paper are strewn about all on the, on the floor. You know, once full shelves are now empty. Hallways and lobbies that were once bustling with activity and people and sound are now deserted. Like ghost towns, bankruptcy has come. And what the teacher is saying is, this loss of vitality is coming to you without exception. And so before that day comes, remember your creator. And then he he gets us here and he compares aging to faint sound and hearing abilities. Look at the middle of verse 4. He says, when the sound of the grinding is low... And one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. Now, the images here are a bit difficult to translate and interpret, but it seems to be speaking to the loss of hearing that comes with age. Because if you think about it, without good hearing, people begin to kind of feel like they're on the outside of life. They're kind of distant. They're kind of left out. You know, the sense of belonging weakens, which is one of our most primal instincts life seems to be happening independent of us and so then he includes images not only of aging but also of dying so he's talking about aging now he starts he adds dying there all the way to the funeral procession in verse five he says they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. I remember when I was about twenty years old, and I was at McDonald's in in Manhattan. I was at a McDonald's in Manhattan, and it was winter. It was very cold. And I was there. I was sitting there, and I saw this old, older man uh, come in. He came shuffling in. Now, maybe he was only 50, <laughs> but you know, when you're young, you think that people who aren't that old are really old. You know? Uh, no, no, he really was old because you know he was he was shuffling in, taking steps very slowly. He was moving so slowly that that the door behind him, coming back, rushed by the wind. Almost knocked him over. And I remember looking at that and just thinking of this contrast, right, between the the size and strength and activity in New York, you know, with cars flying by by, and New Yorkers, you know, just going where they were going with that New York, you know, wind in my face, 70-degree angle walk determination, you know, like I'm important, I got things to do. And the frailty of this old man, you know, just inside the restaurant. And I remember my 20-year-old self thinking, this man needs to be in his apartment in bed, you know, with a fluffy pillow and a warm blanket covering him. Someone else should be getting him his Big Mac and fries, right? And so I've been working on my children on this already, you know. I'll be in the house, and I'll be in the kitchen, like, with a lot of strength and vitality, making them breakfast. And I'll just ask each of them, you know, like, are you going to take care of me when I'm old and frail? And they say, they each say, of course I am, daddy. And so I have a voice memo, you know, of this now for posterity, just in case I have to play it for them, you know. Because when I'm old... And I call them and they don't answer because they probably won't answer, you know. And I leave them a voicemail. They listen to that voicemail and they hear their own voice saying, of course I will, daddy, you know, <laughs> just to remind them. No, I don't have that, <laughs> that, that voice memo. But verse 5 speaks of terrors, terrors in the way. All kinds of things become scary as we age. The almond tree blossoms. This refers to the the white hair that comes with age. And then it says, the grasshopper drags itself along. I mean, is there a more pitiful image? A grasshopper is quick, light, spry. Not this grasshopper. This grasshopper is dragging itself along. Desire fails. Even our desire to eat, which is our most basic desire, is gone when death approaches. Why? Because man goes, is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the street. So now we have here the funeral procession, mourning. And so he says, remember your creator verse 6 before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken of the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it you know picture a golden bowl you know hanging high by a, a cord of silver and then that cord gets snapped and the bowl f- falls and just shatters into all these pieces the silver and gold bring out the value of human life but all human life in this fallen planet will break all of it so he says body turns to dust the spirit returns to god who gave it and so the teacher says in verse 8 vanity of vanities is the first thing he said at the beginning of the book, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Now, if we're not careful, we may misunderstand the teacher. Because doesn't he talk so much about death? I mean, he, he sounds so much like the nihilists, the ones that say there's no purpose in life, that all is meaningless. I mean, he seems to talk like this. He talks about death. Is he just as hopeless as the younger generations of our day? Would he join the chorus that says because we are the helpless, selfish, one-of-a-kind millennium kids that all want to die? Would he say that? Is he just as hopeless as the younger generations of our day? And the answer is no. He is not. He's not a nihilist. He's a realist. He takes a hard look at life and he doesn't sugarcoat what he sees. Now, we today admire artists for this. You know, artists... Look at life, the way we live, the values we uphold, the hypocrisy in what we say and do, the, the selfishness and injustice all around us. And they, they look at this artist and they extort us. Or, or no, rather, they exhort us. Maybe they extort us, but they exhort us. They preach to us. You listen to all kinds of preachers all week long. When you go into your Spotify music and you start just listening, these are preachers. They're giving you a certain perspective on life. And we believe a lot of it. And we we listen to their words and we say, inspired, raw, pulsating with life. You know, the same kind of words could be applied to the teacher of Ecclesiastes. But where he parts ways with a nihilist is that for all uh, the talk about the elusiveness, the emptiness, the fleeting nature of life, the futility, he exhorts us not toward death, toward life because god is life god is life dust turns to dust the spirit returns to god who gave it god is the giver of life the reason that life does have purpose and meaning and beauty and sense because of God who is live and who shares his life with us. You see, when we limit our reflections on human existence just to what we see under the sun, then we're going to see little purpose in the cycles of life, in accomplishments, in pleasure, even in wisdom, because death comes to all whether wise or a fool, which is why the teacher of Ecclesiastes gives us this final word as he's closing. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. You can't just look at life under the sun. You must look up to God. Then life begins to make all kinds of sense. And so his very last two verses in chapter 12, verse 13, he says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. God brings everything under his judgment. Listen, humans do not want accountability for our actions, especially from a divine being. We don't want it. Psalm 2 talks about this very thing. The kings of the earth said themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and throw off their courts from us. People, whether kings or philosophers or artists, have always been devising ways of throwing off our obligation to God, our relationship to him. But the very next verse of this psalm says, he who sits in the heavens laughs, laughs, laughs. We cannot throw off our obligation to God without at the same time throwing off our sense of meaning and purpose as a people. It won't work. Our culture thinks that it can thrive on the fumes of a Christianity that it now despises. It will not work. It was the Christian gospel that taught our nation the the value, the high value of human life. Not without massive errors that have come from within the church for sure not from the scriptures from the church because we all are just sinners and imperfect but we have taught you know the the bible and the gospel has taught this to our culture and we cannot think that we're going to thrive letting go of god letting go of the gospel and thinking that we can keep and preserve its values which is why the final word of ecclesiastes is fear god Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. When we rejoice in our youth and remember our creator in our youth, we're fearing God. The fear of the Lord refers to this orientation of all of life in this moment-by-moment awareness of God's awesome majesty and holiness. We sang about this. And grace That's the fear of the Lord. That's the life that is wholly oriented to our God because we see his worth. The fear of the Lord in the Old Testament becomes faith in Jesus Christ in the new. First comes that fear, that reverence, that dependence, that faith that he is who he says he is. And then our actions follow. And so as we come to know God and we come to love him and we love him for his cross, for what he's done for us. Hey, listen, this is what Romans is all about. I am so excited. So get ready. But that's what it's about. It's the love of God, the love that he has for us that he's shown to us supremely in Christ in giving him up for us. That even when we were God's enemies, he still loved us. You already loved us. That knowledge is transformative. And when that connects with us, then our lives follow. But do not get those mixed up. Do not start following God so that you can get his love. That's not the gospel. Gospel is, you know that God has loved you. Oh, we're gonna look at this, Romans five next week. God loves you. He loves you in his son. That love is never going away. And from that, once that lands, it just changes us. We're not new-ish. No, new. Everything changes. And so let me leave you with two words. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Listen, as Christians, we hold out hope for people who are far from God and we hold that hope until that person passes away and we never give up. Do not dare give up on someone you love that might be very far from God today. Maybe the identity they've embraced, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter. You pray for them. You pray for them until their very last breath. People do come to God on their last breath on their deathbed savingly. They do come to him and his grace is every bit as effectual for them as it is for us. So we never give up hope, okay? But this text today is exhorting us to remember our creator in the days of our youth before aging collects its tax from us and saps our life away. You don't want decades of regret, vice, a wasted life, vanity of vanities. You don't want that. Now, I love that in our church, we have so many young people who have come in and come awake to Christ. I love that. They've come in and they've come awake to Christ. You know, when they first came in, even though they're young, physically, spiritually speaking, they're like that grasshopper dragging themselves along, barely a spiritual pulse there. No agility, no vibrancy, no vitality. But now, You've come awake to Christ. You've repented. You're repenting. You're turning to him. You're learning to delight in your God, to embrace him, to go after him and go after joy. You're learning these things, learning to get your deepest identity from God's love for you. This is why we labor church. This is why we give. This is why we build the church. We're not drawing a crowd. We're building the church of God. And we struggle, we labor with all his might, which powerfully works in us so we may present everyone, everyone mature in Christ. So don't believe, young person, that you cannot go after God and go after joy at the same time. Yes, you can. It's the deepest message of Ecclesiastes. In your youth, rejoice. And in your youth, go after God. Remember your creator. Hold those two always together. If you pretend that it's in vices like shopping or pornography or getting drunk or sex outside of marriage that you find joy, you're being fake. You know you're being fake. You know in your soul that those things only make you less human, more deformed, lifeless. It's when we enter into the presence of God that we find joy in him and in everything that he brings to our path, even the hard things, because we can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Jesus says to us, John 15, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So remember your creator in the days of your youth. And then fill the rest of your life, not with regret, with fullness of joy. Now, children, do I have children here? Yes, okay. Now, I have a question for you, children. Okay, do you love lollipops? Tell me. Do you love lollipops? Okay, good. Now, let me ask you another question. Do lollipops love you back? No, no, they can't love you back. Come on. They don't have a soul. They don't have a mouth. They can't love you back. No. Now, here's the thing. Lollipops, children, they are so much fun, right? They are sweet and delicious and sticky. But after you eat the lollipop, the lollipop is gone, and all you have in your hand is this white sticky stick. That's all you have, you know? And so here's the thing, children. You're going to spend your life, and your little heart is going to go after Things that you're going to love that cannot love you back. But what God wants the most for you is for you to come to see him as your father and to see Jesus as your brother who is going, who is delicious and sweet but not sticky. And you're going, he's going to always be with you. Jesus will never go away like the lollipop. No, he will always be by your side making your life sweeter and stronger. And what he wants you to be able to say is Jesus is better. That's what he wants you to be able to say with all of your life, okay? Can we say it together, children? Jesus is better. Uh, let's say that. Jesus is better. Yes, children, okay, that's good. So here's the thing. I'm gonna ask you a few questions, and the right answer is Jesus is better, okay? So I want you just to yell it out, okay? When I say it, you're gonna yell it out, ready? Here we go. Is a lollipop or Jesus better? Jesus is better. Okay, good. Here we go. Next one. Is your pet or Jesus better? Jesus is, better. is Okay, Jesus is better. Good. Good. Okay, last one. Don't lose enthusiasm here. Here we go. Last one. Is a video game or Jesus better? Jesus. Is better. Yes, Jesus is better. So good. Yes, he is better. Come on, adults. Let's all say it together. Jesus is better. Now, children, I told you I have a tree for you. So I do have a lollipop for you on your way out if your parents say it's okay, okay? So, but remember, as you're just enjoying that sweetness, that Jesus is better. So here's my final word for all of us. And this is for those of you who are in the winter of life or approaching the winter of life. I say to you, in the words of the poet Dylan Thomas, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Do you know who's not going gentle into that good night? Mike McAvoy. Mike McAvoy, many of you may not know him. You need to get to know him. He's a brother here. But Mike McAvoy has shown me what a modern-day Caleb looks like. I mean, Mike is amazing. He's raging against the darkness. For years now, every Sunday, he comes and he prays with a group of like six or seven of us at eight in the morning before these services, and we just pray, and we pray for you. We pray for what God is gonna be doing here, what he's gonna be doing with the children, and we pray, and after that half hour of prayer, He's not done. Then he comes down into this room when it's empty and we're getting everything prepped and he just walks the length and depth of the rows and he's praying for you, for those people who are gonna be sitting in those chairs and he's praying for you. And then he's not done. After the services, he goes into the lobby and he arrests poor timid souls and he imparts life and encouragement over them. Listen, if you don't know Mike McAvoy, you're impoverished, okay? You gotta get, to know him and that's not all you know in the last few weeks we've been painting a number you know freshening up a number of the rooms over there for the children and mike has been here like so many days during the week just getting on his knees and painting up high and painting those rooms for the children for the toddlers and parents you better believe that he's been praying for your children as he paints children you have this amazing 80 something year old spiritual grandpa praying for you so you need to know that. Now, Mike is a retired lawyer, but the Lord has kept him busy doing the work of the true king, the true lawgiver. And there is more energy in Mike than in four 20 year olds combined. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage. Rage against the dying of the light. And so, for some of you who are in the winter of life, what are you doing with your life? Are you wasting it? Are you distracted? What are you giving yourself to? Do you doubt that God can use you? Are you beaten down? Are you tired? Those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. You will soar on wings like eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not be faint. Jesus wants to use your wisdom, perspective, and journey. Maybe you say, oh, I came to the Lord so late in life. So what? Oh, I have so much regret, so much sin, so much wasted. It doesn't matter. Now that Christ shines in your life, come awake. Do not be like that grasshopper dragging itself along. Let God use everything, everything about your story. He wants to use it all for his glory. There's a whole generation, generations, right here in this church family that need to be brought to maturity, and we need you. So do not delay if you're in the winter of your life. You will rest in heaven, but leave it all, leave it all here for the king. Church, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Jesus is better. When our bodies turn to dust, our spirit returns to God who gave it. And for those who fear the Lord, those who have faith in Jesus Christ and all that he is for us in his life, death, resurrection, and reigning glory, then life will go on forever and ever. God is life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now we thank you for this word in Ecclesiastes and how you've spoken to us, God. We do speak against nihilism. We rejected God. We reject that which attempts to, to negate life. Father, we pray for our children as they go back to school and they're gonna hear many messages that are harmful, that are anti-you. Father, we pray that you protect them. We pray that you keep them I pray that parents and, and, and our community will, will come around them and show them your love, show them, show them your joy. Teach them not just by one hour on the weekend, but by what we say and do and feel and prioritize day after day that Jesus is better. Help us, God. Father, I pray for all of these children that they would know you and never depart from your house that they would know how sweet and delicious Christ is and how he never goes away and he never pushes us away. But he's always telling us, come, come, come to me. Come to me in your weakness. Come to me in your frailty. Come to me when you're young. Come to me when you're old. I will give you rest. I will give you life. Father, I pray for those who are young here. And I pray that they would remember their creator in the days of their youth and that they would learn to rejoice in you, God, and go after both together. Go after you. Go after joy in you, God. I pray that they would not believe the lies, the illusions of the world that tell us that the joy comes far away from you. Father, I pray they would reject that lie they would know that no God is life and I will turn to him and I will give my all to him in my youth I will not build a year upon a year of regret And Father I pray for those who are in the winter of life Father it's so easy to get discouraged as we get older to feel that the best has passed feel that you do not have purpose for us or to very, very so, so purpose. Father, I pray that we would know and that they would know that you love them and that you're going to use their wisdom, their perspective, their failures, their mistakes, their sin, all of it to bring glory to yourself and to help us, to help the rest of these generations coming up know the true God I pray Father that they would want in this time of life be disciple makers who make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ and that we would not throw away our lives our days, our hours Father we love you Father we thank you that Jesus is better in every way he is better And I pray that we would truly believe that each and every day. It's in His better name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.